0: you get out of here you can come this way okay there's Lou I'm going to prevail on him for a moment but uh, one of the things we're doing together is having personal devotions in this reading guide called E100 the 100 most essential stories in the Bible and I hope that you're there this past week we came through Mount Sinai into the promised land this coming week we're going to go into the book of Judges and see that love story of Ruth and I ran into Lou this week and let's get you a mic and he said something about E100, and I thought it'd be better to hear from somebody in the congregation than me about this all the time. How are you enjoying uh, E100? Well,
1: before I say that, he surprised me with this on the first service. <laughs> I had no. You didn't clue have to that. tell me that. I had tell no him. clue. So between <laughs> services, I told him, do you think that those stones were hurtful and painful? <laughs> Don't ever do this to me again. <laughs> but, but when we took, when, when Pastor put that challenge out my wife and I decided to step up and take that challenge, even though we read the Bible before many times. But the blessing that we're getting is that we're taking the time, and we study under John MacArthur, my wife and I, so we take the time not only to read the chapters and the verses, but to study God's word through John MacArthur and his commentary. And you don't have to do that for every verse, but the verses that you come across that you don't understand, puts the scripture in context it ties it all together and it makes it such a joy to read God's word Mm -hmm. so even though we're a little bit behind like I told you because we take a little more time to do it we just don't want to read it just to say that we read it we want to study God's word and that's really been a blessing
0: thank you Lou I appreciate that and thanks for forgiving me for the first service okay It's not too late to jump in anywhere. These are available at the Welcome Center. And each week we list in the compass where we should be in the coming week. Well, somebody asked me this morning why I'm not in a bulletproof vest. Those of you who were last, here last week know I came out in a bulletproof vest because I was straight talk to wives from First Peter, and I felt I needed a little protection. And the reason I am not, because a person said to me, well, why aren't you wearing it? And, and, and the reason I'm not wearing it is because I, I was more afraid of wives than I am husbands. So, uh, this is what, amen, yeah, this is what Peter is saying today to husbands in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, and we're going to look at that in just a moment, but as he talks about husbands living with their wives in an understanding way, there was this wife who couldn't get across her point to her husband about how she should understand him, understand her in a number of ways, so they were out, she was out in the street one day when she was approached by a very unattractive beggar lady. And the, wife, and, and the beggar lady asked for some money, so this wife pulls out a $20 bill. And she asked this beggar lady, if I give you this money, will you spend it on makeup? And she said, don't be ridiculous. Heavens no, the beggar replied. Well, will, if I give this, will you spend it on shopping? The wife asked. No, said the beggar. Don't you understand? I need this money to stay alive. Well, she asked the lady again, the beggar lady... If I give you this money, will you spend it on your hair? And she said, don't you understand? I need this money for food and shelter. And the wife said, well, in that case, not only am I going to give you the money, I'm going to invite you to dinner with my husband tonight. And she said, well, why would you do that? Because she said, I want my husband to see what I would look like without makeup, no shopping, and no hair appointments. Today we're looking at how a husband should treat his wife. And it's only one verse. The husband gets one verse. The wife got six last week. But I think that there needs to be a laser focus for the husbands, and he does that today. And even though it's only one verse, I want you to stand for the reading of God's word as I read for you. And if you want the Pew Bible and follow along, it's page 1015. Likewise, husbands... Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You may be seated. Well, that's pretty plain Greek. It's pretty plain English. But I paraphrase the big idea. The big idea of this sermon that Peter is talking about is husbands, learn to treat your wives well. It is a learning thing. It doesn't come automatic. We've got to work at it. We've got to be students of our wives. And if we are able to understand how to live with our wives and treat them well, we will have an amazing relationship with our wives and with God. And so today, I want you to see three principles from Peter's teaching. That'll really help husbands to treat their wives well. And principle number one is this. Husbands who are obedient to the word of God tend to treat their wives well. Husbands who are in the word and who obey it tend to do better with their wives. It's so important. Now we have to jump back to verse 1 for this principle. And in verse 1 we find the situation where there was a Christian wife living with a husband who wasn't obedient to the word of God he wasn't reading it he wasn't following it he was doing strange things probably hurting her in the process and wounding her spirit and so what peter is basically saying is the reverse is so true that if you are in the word and you are obedient to the word then the wife becomes the beneficiary of that good action in the life of her husband you see as men of as men whether we're married or single God's will for us is that we become a man of God. That our passion, our heart's desire is to walk with our God and to get into the word and follow the word and be in prayer and and doing the kinds of things we ought to do. Men of God. And especially as a husband. Over the years of my ministry, I've seen the effects of what happens to wives who have disobedient husbands. I've seen them mistreated in private and in public. I've seen them disrespected. I've I've seen them neglected and I've seen harsh husbands. I've seen what they do when they mistreat them and and when they drink and and they cannot solve that problem. And and being the, the wife of an alcoholic is a very difficult thing. I've seen what happens when men are not obedient to the word of God. On the other hand, in that span of time of almost 40 years, it has been rare at best that I've seen men hurt their wives who have been obedient to the word of God. Godly men know how to take care of their wives. Now it's been interesting. I've been teaching this principle for a long time. I call it the, Ill- I call it the legitimate marriage triangle. It's Probably not original with me. You all know there's an illegitimate marriage triangle. We call that the affair. It's really called adultery. Well, we kind of soften it down where there's a husband who has another woman other than his wife, or a wife who has another man than her husband. And that's always wrong. But there is a legitimate triangle. It's the husband, it's the wife, and it's God. And the amazing thing about this triangle is that when the husband grows closer to God as a man of God, you can see as you move up that triangle, and hopefully she, the wife, is doing the same thing. Not only did they come closer to God but they become closer to one another. And so as you become engaged in the word of God and in following the Lord, guys, you will do so much better with your wife. One of my professors in seminary years ago, and it took me a long time once I got into the ministry. I was only 26. It probably took me till I was in my 40s to to figure out that this guy was right. He would say time and again, when you become a pastor... Minister to the men of your church, and they'll minister to their wives at home. In other words, if we can help men become men of God, when they go home, they're going to treat their wives well. And I didn't understand that, but once we started training our men how to become men of God, it raised the level of how the women were treated. And I would have wives come to me and say, I don't know what you're doing with my husband, but keep on doing it. They were really seeing some results. The professor said something else I will never forget. He said the greatest gift a husband can give his children is to love his wife dearly. And when the children, all of their growing up years, see a husband treating the wife the way she ought to be treated, it leaves a lifelong impact on the children and everybody benefits. The wife, the children, even the husband. So husbands, do you see this book? Do you see this book? It's the Bible. And Peter says, get into the Bible. Not only get into the Bible, but obey it. Become a man of God. And when that happens, you'll treat your wife the way she ought to be treated. That brings us to principle number two. And this is where I'm going to spend the bulk of my time today. And this is the principle. Husbands who learn to understand their wives tend to to treat their wives well. Husbands who do not understand their wives don't tend to treat their wives very well. This guy came up to me one time and he said, Pastor, I think my wife is smarter than Einstein. Only a few people understood Einstein. I don't think anybody understands my wife. (laughs) Well, you know what? It's very important to learn to understand your wife and to become a student. Now, generally speaking... It is true that women are harder to figure out than men. If you'll notice here, Peter doesn't say to the, hus- to the wife, learn to figure out your husband to live with him in an understanding way. He has to say it to the men. Basically, men are kind of simple creatures, and wives have figured them out. They understand that for most men, all you have to do is give them a good meal and sex and a remote TV, and, and they're okay. They figure them out. It's not that way with women. They're harder to learn how they tick. I used to have this guy doll called Mr. Wonderful. Anybody ever have this doll called Mr. Wonderful? I don't have him anymore. I think one of the husbands stole him from me because I used to take him in preaching and teaching on husbands and everything. And this doll, you would squeeze his hand and he would say things that were really interesting about women, and so I don't think this husband liked it. But here's what Mr. Wonderful used to say. Squeeze his hand. And he would say, can't your mother stay another week? (laughs) Squeeze his hand. Did you have a hard day? Why don't you sit down and let me rub your back? Squeeze his hand. You're going shopping by yourself? How about if I tag along and carry your bags? (laughs) Squeeze his hand. Why don't you just relax tonight and let me make the dinner Squeeze his hand. Really, golf isn't that important to me. I'd rather spend my time with you. Squeeze the hand. Here, you take the remote. As long as I'm with you, I don't care what we watch. Now, this was really interesting last night. Marie wanted to watch a movie, and I wanted to see the NCAA tournament, Wisconsin and uh, Kentucky. Do you know who won the remote in the end? (laughs) She did. So, I was Mr. Wonderful last night. Squeeze his hand. Let's just cuddle tonight. You know, I learned something 25 years ago at a seminar. A guy came to our church, and I should have known this, and I knew it theoretically, but I didn't know it in my heart and practice. And he said, basically, you've got to understand, women, that we are different. They are different from men. And so Peter is teaching today that wives are women, and he says it there as if we didn't know it. And therefore, they're different from men. That is the divine design. That's how God created us. And it is amazing to me the many, many times in my counseling in the study over the years that they would come in, these couples, these conflicted couples, and they would say, we're not getting along. We think we're going to get a divorce because we are so different. And I wanted to say, hello. That's the way God made you you got to figure out how you're different, and then you can be a complement to each other, and you can be a one-flesh couple and have a great marriage together. These differences, you'd be bored with each other if you were alike all the time. And so there are two books. These are older books, but books that I've read with great profit. One of them you can probably buy from a used bookstore for a buck. Men are from Mars, Women are from Venus by John Gray. And the Christian version of that, and I love this title, Is Men Are Clams, Women Are Crowbars by David Clark. So let me just give you four examples of these differences. I'm not saying that they're differences for everybody. But basically, generically, these are differences between men and women. The first one is in communication. I think most people understand that most women talk more than men. In fact, there are surveys that say that a woman speaks 33,000 words a day and a man 13,000. And the problem is the man has used up his 13,000 words by the time he comes home and she's just starting her 33,000. It's a big difference. Here's another one. Details. Guys are much more bottom line. Women are much more details. Details. So I have a hard day with a lot going on. I come home and I say, Marie, I've been to the hospital and so-and-so has had a baby, everybody's doing well. That's enough for me. And all of a sudden there comes 10, 15, 20 questions. What hospital, where, how much, you know, APGAR score. All kinds of things are being asked. And I'm just saying, I gotta be careful. I, I'm not short with her because I'm a bottom line guy. She's detailed. Here's another one, shopping. Guys have different shopping habits than girls, than their wives. I will go to the mall and most guys say, I know where I'm going to go in, I'm going to go in and get this thing at this store in the mall and then I'm out of there. Not a lot of women, including my wife. My wife is a comparison shopper. I think the first stop fits her, that's great. No. Next door, same thing. Next door, next door, next door down there. Four hours later, she's all excited and she has what she's bought. And I'm hardly staying alive because I'm so tired out. The mall is a fatiguing place for a guy. How about this last excuse me, how about this last one? Men and women view sex differently. I saw this survey one time where the women listed the most important things in their life, and sex was number fourteen behind gardening. <laughs> you won't find that on most men's lists that way. And so we have this difference. And and Peter says, we've got to learn, guys, to understand our wives and to live with them in an understanding way. By the way, isn't it good that he didn't say that we're supposed to understand women? There's only one woman in the world a husband has to figure out, and it's his wife. And he's got to work as hard as he can to do that. So Peter is saying, live with your wives in an understanding way. But that's all he basically says. Well, how do you do that? Well, we've got to parse it in our culture today. How do we live with our wives in an understanding way? I've got five principles. There's a dozen or more, many of them. But let me give you five. Number one, husbands need to get into their wives' world. We often, after we get married, have our own worlds. And they're separate. And we don't cross over. Guys, it's harder to cross over into a woman's world. One day, Marie was... Deciding to redecorate and so she went to the store the wallpaper store and she's looking wallpaper over I don't care what she gets wallpaper's wallpaper But she calls me on the cell she says would you come down and help me pick out some wallpaper and I'm thinking Heaven forbid I don't want to go down there and look at wallpaper But then I remembered the principle you got to get into her world So I said sure I'll be right down and I went down there and we picked out the wallpaper and it's still on the wall Looks pretty good how about movies? Chick flicks. About 6 or 7 years ago, Pride and Prejudice comes out. And my wife says, "Would you go see Pride and Prejudice with me?" I'm thinking, "I'm prejudiced against the movie because I don't think I'm going to like it, <laughs> you know." But, "Oh, sure, sure, I'll go with you." And so we went to see the movie. And she was so happy I went to see it, and she was hoping I'd be a little bit more like Mr. Darcy. What does she do? She buys the DVD. <laughs> How many times do you think I've seen Pride and prejudice in our living room. But we got to get into our wives' world. How about the buying the homes and redecorating channels on TV? Women love that. And I, mm, you know, like that. But you know what? I'll get into her world and I'll watch that. And you know, it's not that bad. And so we've got to get into our wives' world. The second is husbands can't force the submission thing. Yes, Paul says the husband is the head of the home. Yes, Peter says, Wives, submit to your husband, but guys, you cannot push that envelope. You can't say, Okay, wife, be submissive to me. Okay, I'm the boss, or whatever that is. That isn't good. It won't get very far. Now, I've had a desire to have a puppy in the house for a while. And you know, last week I preached on Wives, be submissive to your husbands. And I could go home and say, Okay, Marie. We are buying a puppy and you are going to like it. Do you know what I did this week? I was going through the internet on some news and I came across this beautiful little Pomeranian puppy. Do you know what I did? I took the screen to Marie and said, don't you like this little creature? Hoping she'd maybe crack a little bit and say, oh, we should get a puppy. No, she didn't. And you know what? We aren't going to get a puppy. I'm not going to force that on her. Do you know why? Who will have to take care of the puppy? (laughs) And she understands, and I've come to understand, and a stage like this, as much as I love to have a little lap dog, we're not going to get one because I'm not going to push the you submit thing. Third, husbands need to learn their wives' needs and meet them. Our wives have needs. We have needs. You say, well, where do you learn the needs of your wives? Three great places. Number one, the Bible. If you're in the Word, you're going to learn what your wife needs. Number two are some books that are out there, and some of them uh, are, are a little bit older, but one of them is very good. It is Willard Harley's, His Needs and Her Needs. And the other one is, um, oops, I forgot my wife. <laughs> and, and that's not a good thing. You forget your wife, you're going to forget her needs. The third place that you ask where the needs are is from your wife. She's going to know best what her needs are. And after she falls over in shock and gets up again, she'll be willing to tell you what her needs are. You know, it's interesting that we were dating our wives, that we figured out what their needs were. We knew what color flower and what kind of flower and all that they like. We learned their needs. Then after we get married, we kind of go silent. But you know, it's very interesting that the word of God says, if you have what somebody else needs and you withhold that from them, you have sinned. And so a husband, you already have what your wife needs. You just got to figure it out. And since you already have what your wife needs and you can meet that need, you need to step up and meet the need because if you don't, you shouldn't come to the communion table until you figure that out because it is sin. I have figured out that if a husband would just discover and meet his wife's top two needs for 30 days, it would revolutionize the marriage. Now I want to clarify something real quickly. A husband can't meet all of his wife's needs, and a wife can't meet all of her husband's needs. And we've been taught that we should be able in some places to meet all these needs. You can't do it. Other guys are going to meet other guys' needs and other wives are going to meet other wives' needs and so forth. But there is a realm of needs that only the husband and the wife should meet and nobody else. And you've got to figure those out. Number four, I'm just going to touch on. Husbands need to give their wives plenty of time and attention, alone time. Now, remember when you were dating, you did that? You would invite everybody to a party while you went out to a date and while you, you know, went out in the car and drove around town and everything. You wanted to be alone. And you say, well... I'm so busy, what do I do? How do I, if I give her quality time and not quantity time, is that okay? No, it is not. When you were dating, you gave quantity and quality time. And isn't it amazing that some of the most busy executives and other people, when they get into an affair, finally have time for the other party? We've got time, we've got to make it. And so how do you do it? You go back like you used to when you dated. You figured out how to give yourself time, even though you were a student and, and had a job on those things, you still found time for each other. It is so important. And then Peter drills down on this one, number five. Husbands need to understand that a woman is a weaker vessel. Is Peter saying she is inferior? No, absolutely. In no way is a woman inferior. She just had, in general, a smaller vessel body that is not as strong as a man's body, and she can be easily overpowered by a man. She is a weaker vessel. Case in point, the NFL. Do you see any women on the line ready to go sack a quarterback? No. In the NBA, do you see women playing along with LeBron James? No, because they are the weaker vessel. And why did God tell the man to live with her and, and grant her honor and then as a weaker vessel? I'll tell you two reasons. Number one, he's to protect her. He made her stronger. And she needs to know that she's protected, and number one. And number two, he's to be a gentleman to her. And he is to understand chivalry with his stronger body to make her life even e- easier with courtesy. That's why the Lord gave us that way. And by the way... Men aren't stronger in every way. Did you know that? Let's talk about pain threshold for a moment. Do you realize that there will only be a fraction of the population in the world if men had babies? They couldn't take the pain. So it's in this physical aspect. And so husbands have to understand that to live with their wives in an understanding way, that they are there with their stronger body to make sure she is cared for. Principle number three. Husbands who grant their wives honor as fellow heirs of the grace of life tend to treat their wives well. Husbands who understand that their wives are equal before the Lord, co-heirs of the grace of life, that they are not superior spiritually. In fact, survey after survey says that women have a more sensitive heart to the Lord than men do in general. So you are not to parade around guys as the real spiritual guy in the church as though your wife is someone not as spiritual as you. She is. And the word of God says to grant her honor. Now the ESV, the version we use here at church, basically says, showing her honor as the weaker vessel. And the Greek text has the words in a different order, and I prefer this order. It says... And show her, excuse me, uh, where is that one? Uh, And show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. And so this showing honor doesn't go to the weaker vessel. It goes with showing honor as this equal. A person who shares salvation and is as spiritually astute as he is. One more thing in verse 7. It says that we grant our wives honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. And he talks about the wife... As a woman. That word woman is in there. That she is a woman. That word goes beyond just the translation woman. It means a feminine one. And a husband has to understand the beauty of the femininity of his wife. In every aspect of her femininity. And realize that she is to be given honor as this precious gift from God. Also the care. The co-heir of the grace of life. I've often thought of this illustration that's been given to me and maybe you at some point. When you think about the engagement ring, you think about the ring portion and the prongs that hold up the diamond. Guys, you are the ring and the prong. The prongs, your wife is the diamond. And our job is to give her honor and show her off to the world and treat her as though she's the most priceless thing because she is the pearl of Great price. I bring this to a conclusion. Peter says, if you're obedient to the word, if you learn to live with your wife in an understanding way, and if you give her honor, grant her honor as a co-heir of the grace of life, then God will answer your prayers. But if you are disobedient to the word of God, if you don't live with her in an understanding way, and if you don't grant her honor as a co-heir of the grace of of life, then your prayers will be hindered, and it's as though you're just a big windbag when you pray because God isn't going to hear your prayer. Those are the stakes. Now, it's interesting. Two obvious things come out. Number one is that men ought to be given to prayer, or Peter wouldn't say that. And part of our job description, guys, is that we are going to be men of prayer, and we have to pray for our wives and our children and the people in our family circle on our knees because the devil wants to have them for lunch. We stand in the gap. With prayer. The second thing is, as we look at what Peter is saying, is the effectiveness of a husband's prayer depend on how he treats his wife. One day, you guys who are married, you had the courage to stand up in front of a church of people, in front of a pastor, and say, I'm taking this woman, and she's going to be my wife, and I'm going to take care of her for the rest of her life. Today, some of you have realized you haven't done all of that, and you need to make some adjustments. And I'm asking you, as they did in the first service, guys, some of you that have said, I'm going to grow up not only together with this church, but with my wife and and, and make an adjustment in my life. The Spirit of God has spoken to me. Something has to be done. I'm asking you to have the guts to stand where you are right now and say, Pastor Al, I am going to make an adjustment with my wife. The Spirit of of God has spoken to me. If that's you, I want you to stand. You did that on your wedding day. You stood in front of a bunch of people. Today, you need to have the guts to stand where you are to make an adjustment with your wife. God will bless you for doing so. God will come upon you with power. Now, tomorrow, the devil's going to meet you. He's going to try to push you down and away from this moment. Don't you let that happen. You be a man of God. And as we come to this table, I know that God will bless you because you have taken a step. Father, I, I lift these men up. They had the courage to stand. Their wives may not know what's going through their minds, but God, you do. And I pray that if it's just one little thing that they adjust and they continue to adjust things in the days ahead, what a great, great benefit that will be to their marriage and to their children if they're in their home. And so God, I commend these men to you. I ask that you would protect them from the onslaughts of Satan who will go around as a lion trying to devour them and their marriage Oh, God, turn a corner for them in some way. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you men. You are courageous. May your tribe increase. You may be seated.